Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? In which the answer to that, answer to that question is Buffy. We're going to talk about tonight, um, Season 2, Episode 3, entitled School Hard. This is the introduction of Spike and motherfucking Drusilla. So this is a very, very exciting episode. Um, this is the first, like, big introduction of new characters, like, anticipated introduction of new characters. So, um, good times. So, if this is your first time listening to What's This Bitch Talking About, I like to watch every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after it aired. And, um, just a little bit, just, just to get a little bit of business out of the way real quick... Um, if you would like to help me out, if you like listening to my podcast, it costs me about $135 a year. Um, I got a little bit of a discount this year on SoundCloud, so it was a little bit less than that. But um, my podcast juice just came up a couple days ago, so um, it would help me out a lot if you could send me a couple bucks. Um, don't feel bad if you can't. This podcast will always be free. Um but I don't have any sponsors yet, so that means that I depend on um, donations from viewers, listeners like you. <laughs> so if you would like to help me out, the way to do that is paypal.me slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. Um, the other little bit of business is that I um, have just, it just occurred to me that it would be a lot more fun if this podcast would go up on the day. So from now on, the episodes of the podcast are going to go up sometime on the day that is the exact 20 year anniversary from that particular episode. Um, I think that would be a lot more fun for you guys if you do want to watch along with me. Um, so that way all you have to do is, um, and it's, it'll probably be sometime during the evening that it gets uploaded. Um, it would either be before or after my radio show. So it would be later in the day, but it would be, I think ideally what I would like is that if you choose to, you could watch the episode of Buffy sometime during the day so that we're both watching it we're both so that all of us together are watching the episodes 20 years after their original air dates. And then if you want, right after you watch it, you can listen to my podcast. I would like both of those things to be available on the same day. So, um, this episode is not going up in that time schedule. This episode is not going to be up until Monday night slash Tuesday morning, but that means that the next podcast will be up this Friday. Um, so just to get that little, let me make sure that's right. Make sure, make sure that there is an episode this week. Yes. So the 6th of October, this Friday, um, I, my podcast discussing Inca, Inca mummy, Inca mummy girl will be up. Um, so, and that will begin the new schedule. So I'm excited that, I don't know why it didn't occur to me to do that until now, but I'm excited that it did occur to me and I think it will be a lot more fun for listeners. So that'll be, that'll be it. That's the thing. That's what's happening. Um, I'm going to do a what's up with Mixtress right now. Um, sort of a, I had a really dark moment that I'm still sort of at the edge of right now. Um, it started with yesterday, Sunday. My grandpa said something really racist in response to, it was an NFL related conversation. And I didn't hear it because I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have said it in front of me because he knows better than to say racist shit in front of me. But, um, he said it in front of my Michael and 
um, it upset him so much that he got in the car and he was just ready to go. And I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe he had a headache or something. So I was like, okay, I guess we're leaving. Bye. Hugged everybody, got in the car. And I was like, what's going on? Are you okay? And then he told me what happened. And, um, I took it really badly and sort of, it sort of set off a cascade of events in my head of, you know, I am usually a very hopeful person, you know, whenever, whenever Riverboat Clown got elected as our president last November, I had a very, very, very dark day, but I recovered pretty quickly deciding that humanity is not that bad. We're not that bad. We're going to be okay. It's not going to be as bad as we think, but I was very wrong. It is so much worse than I thought. Um, this last year, so many terrible things have happened because of terrible people uh, on top of not even to mention like all the hurricanes and stuff, which is possibly, possibly the, I mean, <laughs> all of those things are our fault too, because we don't treat the earth very well. And so like a lot of that stuff could come back to us too. And I just, I couldn't sleep last night and I'm not, I'm a pretty selfish bitch. Like I'm not really the type of person that is kept awake at night because of worrying about things going on in the world. But I was just so upset that my grandpa, who's one of my top five favorite humans in the universe, he has all of this darkness inside of him, like most old white dudes do. He has a lot of it. And I haven't really seen it in very, I didn't see it until like the last year or so I've been seeing it and I, I've got to say I, he is a kind person. I have never seen him be unkind to anyone. He's 82 years old and you can tell by looking at someone's face if they're a good person or not when they're 82, you know, he is a good person, but he still has some backwards bullshit in his brain. And maybe he has no choice, you know, like I started thinking about it, like, anyway, I, I'm not going to say he has no choice. I'm not going to like make excuses for him, but I know that he's not an unkind person, but just the fact that I wasn't there to like snap back at him just kept me awake. It just kept me awake because I was thinking about like, what do I say to him? How do I approach this topic? Blah, blah, blah. And I, anyway, that was coupled with me being premenstrual. And then it just, it just continued. So it was just a cascade, you know, because I was feeling really upset about that situation because my grandparents are such a big part of who I am. Like loving my grandparents and being around my grandparents is just a big deal to me. Both of my grandparents are on the lease. Uh, the lease, I guess you don't do. You, you don't call it a lease on the mortgage with me and Michael because we couldn't afford the house by ourselves. So they signed with us. Um, I mean, they don't like, you know, make any of the payments of course, but they signed with us so that we could get the house, which was a huge deal, a huge, beautiful, kind thing that they did for us. And it wasn't even a question. Like they never even thought about saying no when we asked them for help with something that big. There was never a possibility of them saying no. It's just, we need help. You got it. You don't even have to tell my grandpa that you need help with something and he's there. He is, I, 
but I'm starting to think, you know, like how many people do I think are kind, wonderful people? And I've said this before on the podcast, so sorry if you've heard that and I'm repeating myself, but how many people in my life do I think are kind and wonderful people? But I only think that because they're kind and wonderful to me because I'm white like them. And that fact, that thought just plagues me, you know, like I feel like I can't trust people. And I really did think that human beings as a whole were good, but we have been so awful lately. And it's like we've learned nothing from terrible events in history like the Holocaust and things like that because we're racist and terrible still. And I hate that about us. And it has really been plaguing my mind lately. And um, so I was actually thinking to myself, okay, so I'm going to end on a note of hope on this little segment. I was actually thinking to myself earlier today, like, I really want a sign. I want a sign that humanity isn't that terrible. And four different little things happened after I thought that to myself. One was, um, one of my coworkers, kid, kids, Ben, he is like, I don't know, two, three, I'm not good with kid ages, but he is one of the just happiest, sweetest kids. And of course, a lot of that is attributable to his parents who are kind and wonderful, sweet people. And, um, I saw him at some point today and I was like, Oh, that kid is going to grow up to be a wonderful human. Cause there's no way that he won't because of how he's growing up. He's going to be he's going to be all right. So that made me happy. And that gave me a little moment of hope. And then later I posted some really despondent shit on Facebook. And I never, I never post things on Facebook. Like the only thing I ever do is like share a quiz every once in a while or share a picture or something like that. I hardly ever, or tell people that I have my radio shows on or whatever. I hardly ever like actually compose something, but I composed something that was just really dark and dreary about humanity in general. Because that whole bullshit happened with that Las Vegas shooting today. Like the two biggest mass shootings in America's history have happened in the last like year and a half with um, the Orlando Pulse thing and this Las Vegas thing. It is devastating and awful. And I mean, I was already feeling that way before I heard about that. And that just pushed me over the edge today. But anyway, um, so there was that I saw Ben and I was like, okay, there's one human that's going to be all right. Um, so after I posted that thing on Facebook, my best friend, Kim said something about, you know, having hope for Bella's generation. It's going to be better for Bella's generation, which Bella is her oldest daughter who is, um, 12, 13, one of those. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, Bella, Bella. Bella's going to be all right. Like I do have hope for our future, but we're not there yet. And it feels very hopeless right now. And it feels like we're not going to make it right now. So there was that. And then, um, so one of my favorite patrons called the library today and I hadn't talked to him in a long time. In fact, I've never talked to him on the phone. I've only seen him in person and he's, he's just a really interesting guy. Like we have some sort of unspoken communication where like the actual, I mean, we say things to each other, but the actual words that come out of our mouth sound like crazy people not really saying anything, but I feel like we get each other. Like there's a certain wavelength that a certain level of crazy flavor of crazy that we both are kind of in the same, in the same flavor category of crazy. So we get each other. So 
it was nice to talk to him because he's also a person that has a tendency towards getting really depressed and sometimes I worry that he will self-harm and I hadn't seen him in a really long time so knowing that he's still out there made me feel a little bit better and then I this is the real moment I I was just in such a bad place and I didn't have any whiskey at home and I was like you know what I need to make sure I have some whiskey and I've never done this I've never just like stopped at a gas station on the way home because I need to have some whiskey right now like it was sort of a desperate moment and so I stopped at a gas station close to my house where um, and I was really happy that it was open because the people that work at this gas station are really sweet and they are um, Indian I believe um, and they've been targets in our area of some hate bullshit like hate graffiti and stuff and I'm sure they've dealt with their share of awfulness but they are always so so nice they are just like being around them makes me happy and they are so sweet and nice and kind to everyone that walks into their gas station and um, and I don't I didn't do this intentionally like I didn't stop there thinking oh I'm gonna talk to these nice people it'll make me feel better I didn't think that I just thought I need some whiskey this is on the way home and I'd rather go here than like you know some chain restaurant or whatever and I went in there and um, the woman behind the counter was just like oh my god how are you I haven't seen you in a long time and it's good to see you and she said she liked my dress or something and she just she's just very genuine and sweet and um, I was like I'm okay you know blah 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 and I and I just said you guys are always so nice and she said well it's because you deserve it she said that to me somebody I don't even know I don't know her name I've talked to her at a gas station a dozen times and she said it's because you deserve it after I said that she was so nice all the time and <laughs> I started crying I was just like thank you so much that is so sweet I have had such a sad day and thank you thank you so much and um, there was just a moment that I'm almost gonna cry right now just thinking about it just people that have it harder than me there's no doubt in my mind these people have to have life way more difficult have life way more difficult whatever I don't care about the grammar of that sentence than I do and she's so so kind always and it that was the big moment you know like knowing that like future generations of kids are gonna be less awful than we are because they're gonna grow up with less awful ideologies than we are I hope I fucking hope in general that's got to be true it just has to be was a was a good was a good beacon for me but that moment was a beacon of like these people are here right now and that made me think okay I don't go to gas stations that much like this isn't even a gas. I don't even think you can get gas at this particular gas station anymore I think it's just a convenience store at this point but I'm gonna make it a point to go there as much as possible and give them as much of my money as possible because of that moment like yeah yeah anyway so that's the what's up with mixtress sorry to like bring it down for 19 minutes but um that's kind of where I've been um which is sad because it's my birthday tomorrow and I've got to work all day and I'm probably still going to be pretty hormonal and yeah I don't want to be in that place but that that moment really did it really did make me feel a lot better because I really did think to myself I need a sign I need a sign that humanity isn't terrible and then I got several so there's that um, <laughs> let's get into this episode of Buffy um, I feel like this is an episode that that really deserves to have a very thoughtful exciting discussion attached to it but I don't know if I have that in me right now I'm very distracted but I don't want to wait to record this episode so um, you guys are just gonna have to bear with me I'm just gonna go fly by the seat of my pants and I'm gonna try not to talk too too much because I don't want this to be a super long podcast that you don't want to listen to 
Um, I'm going to read the summary of this episode from The Complete Slayer, which is a book that I sometimes hate because the author is sexist ass face. Obviously, by his writing, you can tell sometimes. But um, I'm going to read the summary from it anyway because it's much longer than the summary I have in my other episode guide. And then I'll comment as we go. Snyder assigns the organization of parent-teacher night to his two worst students, Sheila and Buffy. This is the weirdest choice. Like, a principal would never assign the organization of a parent-teacher night to students, period. And if he did, he or she did, they would assign it to, like, the student council council or some other responsible type students not the two worst students so it's sort of like the the episodes the episode opens with Snyder threatening to expel them if they don't do a good job organizing parent teacher night <laughs> very weird so introduction of new character Sheila she's short-lived spoiler alert Vampire couple Spike and Drusilla arrive in town, but are coldly received by the Anointed One. The night of St. Vigius will occur on Saturday, the time when a vampire's strength is at its peak. Spike lures Sheila to his warehouse and feeds her to, to Drusilla. At parent-teacher night, Buffy is unable to keep Snyder and Joyce apart and is in trouble with her mom until Spike's vampires attack the school. Buffy herds the parents into a room while Willow and Cordelia hide in a nearby closet and Giles, Xander, and Ginny barricade the library. Buffy takes on the vampires, including Sheila, who's now been turned. After an angry confrontation with his former guru, Angel, Spike almost kills Buffy, but Joyce smashes an axe over Spike's head. Get the hell away from my daughter, she says. That's my little added, but I mean, she did say that. Joyce tells Buffy how proud she is of her daughter's bravery and says that those qualities are more important than Buffy's problems at school. Spike and Drew, however, are here to stay. So there's a lot of really great moments in this episode. Um, first, let's talk about the introduction of Spike and Drusilla. Um, very exciting, of course. Spike is going to be around through the entire series, and he will be around also for season five, the final season that takes place um, a year after the last season of Buffy um, on Angel. He's on Angel, that last um, year that Angel is on. Um, so he's around for a long time as this character. They had originally intended for Spike and Drusilla to only exist for a few episodes and then get killed off, but they liked them so much that they kept them around. Um, Spike is a pretty real, Spike and Drusilla both, are pretty realized characters right from the very beginning. Spike's accent, um, James Marsters, he is actually American, so he doesn't sound at all like his um, London-based Spike character's accent, but um, he, his accent is not perfect in this first episode, but you really have to listen to hear the flaws. He's already doing a pretty good job, and like I said, his character is pretty fully realized. One of the moments that I think is most important to talk about Spike's character is that he 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 does a lot of like power play bullshit in this episode, a lot of masculine posing and stuff in this episode, and you think that 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 doesn't end up being a huge part of his character, um, but in the beginning, Drusilla is weak because she is recovering from some big injury that happened to her in Prague, and um, so at first he is kind of alpha, but most of the time the dynamic between Spike and Drusilla is that Drusilla is in charge, even though she's fucking crazy. Um, but the moment that really caught me off guard, um, or that I think is the most important, is that the first time you see Drusilla, she sort of wanders into the room. Spike's already been introduced, 
but you haven't seen Drusilla yet. And Spike's like, you know, I don't know, talking about how manly he is and trying to take over um, with the anointed one and get on his good side or whatever. Because he's like, you know, got to get in with the right vampires in the new town because he, they just blew into town. Um, and Drusilla walks in the room you see her in the background, just sort of wandering up. And Spike senses her presence. His back is to her as she walks in behind. And she's, you know, like 15, 20 feet away. And he just senses her presence. And he's all vamp-faced, you know, being all macho, whatever. And he's been vamp-faced this entire time. And as, and he notices her behind him and he turns around and his face goes from vamp face to, you know, human type face. And he's like, Drew, you know, like immediately his entire demeanor changes because he's, he's in love with Drusilla. And this is unique because we haven't yet seen a vampire that has genuine love, has a genuine love like that. You know, we've just seen vampires be heartless killers at this point. We haven't seen them in a compassionate light at all, unless we're talking about Angel. So that right away shows you that Spike and Drusilla are different because they genuinely love each other. And that I think is a really important moment. And that, um, that particular shot is mirrored later in the episode whenever um, Spike faces Buffy in the library and they're finally just one-on-one -on -one and they're about to fight. It's the same thing. She walks up behind him and he's facing away from her and he senses her presence and turns around and faces her. And I think that is an important, even though they didn't know that there would be any kind of anything between Spike and Buffy ever, they had no clue at this point when they were writing the show, but that becomes like retroactively significant. I feel like because it shows that I feel like, I don't know, like Spike's one focus in life has been the women that he loves always since the very beginning. All he cares about is Drusilla. And then the second he meets Buffy, Buffy is also all he cares about. Like Drusilla and Buffy are literally the only two things that Spike really ever thinks about besides himself. And, um, I, I just think that's, he has an incredible amount of empathy for these two women and he just from the very beginning. And I, I just find that interesting. <laughs> anyway, that little shot parallel I just had to talk about. Um, let's see. So research that I did, um, it interesting. The Buffy and philosophy book made a parallel between the overall character arc of Xander versus the overall character arc of Spike. And they were talking about how Xander, sort of his character, does not really evolve past that sort of teenage bullshit view of women that he had in the beginning. He sort of never grows out of that and sort of never has to be accountable for that. Whereas Spike evolves, evolves tremendously as a character over almost the same time period. Um, I mean, he wasn't there for season one, but that's the only part of the series that he wasn't there for. And um, I thought that was an interesting parallel that Spike has, you know, he evolves into someone that wants to be good and he cares about redemption and all of that. And he cares about atoning for the awful things that he did and he seeks out a soul in the end of the show. But in contrast, Xander, who is human, never has to answer for any of his stupid bullshit and he never evolves, really. I mean, he evolves a little bit, but not much. Although that was an interesting point though. Um, let's see what else. Let me take a drink here real quick. I also bought a soda today. That was another moment of weakness. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, um, 
my Why Buffy Matters book made a really interesting point about people, about the names that Spike has, and about how different characters in the show, in this first episode, ask him what his name is. I just thought it was interesting, so I'm going to read it. So it's the book Why Buffy Matters by Rhonda Wilcox. So I'm reading a little bit from that book. We first meet Spike in an early second season episode, School Hard. Throughout the episode, others repeatedly ask his name. Who are you? Asks high school hellion Sheila. Who do you want me to be? Spike responds. From the beginning, his predilection for role playing and performance is hinted at by his naming patterns. Spike, as many observers have noted, performs himself. In this, his first episode, we already learn that he has more than one name. He wears not only the unorthodox name Spike, but also, as Giles reports, is known as William the Bloody. Earned his nickname by torturing his victims with rail railroad spikes. When Buffy asks Spike the question of the episode, Who are you? He answers, You find out Saturday. What happens on Saturday? She replies, I kill you. For her, he claims no name but death. I thought that was really interesting. Like, I hadn't picked up on that at all, but I thought that was interesting. His, his willingness to be, to be essentially whatever the women in his life need him to be. Like, he would not really have that whole, who do you want me to be answer to the question, who are you? That Sheila asks him, he would never answer a question like that to, you know, a man because <laughs> he's not interested in men. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Interesting point by the Why Buffy Matters book. Um, let's see. There's a lot of, there's just so many things to talk about in this episode. Um, there is a, hmm, there is a moment, oh, how do I want to talk about any of this? I don't know how to talk about any of this. The relationship between Joyce and Buffy. Let's just talk about that little thread. Just follow that thread. Um, in the beginning of the episode, there's this moment where um, Joyce and Buffy talk in her bedroom um, whenever she um, finds out about the parent-teacher night and they're talking about how she's going to go to the parent-teacher night and whatever. And um, Buffy is wearing these like weird gardening pajamas that have roses on them and watering cans and other stuff and like a cloud pattern. And Joyce is wearing a robe, a, a like black robe with white roses all over it. So I thought that was an interesting little moment. I feel like the wardrobe department knew what they were doing and was trying to say, hey, they're both wearing roses on their jammies. They're going to connect in this episode. And they do. This is really the first time that you get to see Joyce as a human and not just a mom. Because, you know, the vampires attack the school and Buffy has to take over and protect not only students like she normally does, not only her peers and students like she normally does, but also parents. And she just takes charge immediately. And her mom, to her credit, like recognizes that that Buffy is, you know, and she doesn't realize that she's a slayer and all that shit, but she realizes that Buffy is good in a crisis and that she knows what to do. And I was thinking to myself, like, you know, whenever, um, at work often we have to watch, you know, that video that shows you what to do in an active shooter situation. And most of it is just hide, go find somewhere to hide is basically all it is. You know, make yourself invisible as much as possible. And Buffy does this immediately. Like vampires attack the school. They can't get out. So she takes everyone to a classroom and has them and barricades the door and tries to like keep everyone quiet. And, um, Willow does this as well. She ends up in like a janitor closet with Cordelia the whole whole episode, just the two of them just hiding and she keeps Cordelia quiet and they just hide and that's how they survive. You know, it doesn't do any good to stand in the middle of the hallway and scream, you know? Um, so I thought that was pretty smart. And I love that Joyce 
Joyce recognizes it at the end of the episode. She tells her, you know, Buffy, you're good in a crisis. You think of others, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm really proud of you. Um, so to her, this is the first time that Joyce has acted like a fucking human and hasn't just been, as Buffy calls it, ragging on her. So that was a nice thing. It's like the first time you like Joyce, I feel like. Um, so that was a nice little moment. There's also the sweetest moment between Giles and Buffy. Like she has come into the library where he has barricaded himself with Jenny and um, originally Xander, but he sent Xander out through some secret exit in the stacks apparently to go find Angel to get him to come help. Um, so Xander wasn't there, but she just drops in through the ceiling after crawling through the the vents and stuff from the room that she had the parents kept in and she goes to like get some weapons and talk to Giles and um, he wants to come with her to help her when she's going out to fight and he's and she's like well I know that my mom my mom is in here Giles I know that you will get her to safety if I can't and he's like bloody right I will and it's just a sweet little moment where like she's telling him that she trusts him completely and he is that's just a nice little dad figure moment you know it's those little moments like that just warm my heart I love Giles so much um so let's see what have I talked about Joyce and Buffy Spike noticing Buffy and Drusilla before he turns around um, oh god there's this moment at the beginning of the episode where the first time Spike sees Buffy in fact is a very interesting moment because he's sort of stalking her he knows she's a slayer he's killed two slayers before he's stalking her preparing himself he wants to see how she fights so he lures her outside um, to see her fight some vampire in the alley or whatever and he's watching her fighting style and all that shit and like as she's outside fighting Xander goes out there for whatever reason and she hasn't neither of them has seen Spike yet but she's like I need a steak a steak would be nice so Xander goes inside to look through her purse and he pulls out a tampon <laughs> which I think is a cute little moment because boys are so fucking fragile they can't handle a tampon it was even commented on in my complete slayer book with by that asshole guy that I kind of hate Keith Topping by the way is his name and he's like Xander won't ever like Xander learns his lesson you never go through a girl's purse because you never know what you could find like is it that horrifying to, ha to find a little wad of cotton that we shove into ourselves to stop a blood flow once a month is it that horrifying god boys are babies sometimes man I know hashtag not all men but jeez but that was just a funny little moment. They had the funniest score going behind Xander, like blinky, 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 like as he's going through her purse. Like it was just the weirdest thing because it was just it was just for that tiny little moment. Um, so there's that, the Buffy Giles moment. Cordelia and Willow were pretty funny hanging out in the um the janitor closet together. One thing that bugs me is that no one checked on them. Like Xander in the past has been very laser focused on Willow's safety and he didn't like ask about her at all during this episode. None of them knew that she was, that they were in the janitor closet. And then there's like this scene of them at the very end of the episode still sitting in there in the janitor closet after everyone has left and the whole danger is over and none of them thought about Willow at least that that little inconsistency bugged the shit out of me um oh god there was this whole really funny gag about the lemonade so buffy's in charge of whole the whole parent teacher night because sheila isn't helping her at all at any point she's doing everything by herself and the whole episode like is pretty much about buffy trying to balance her life as a student her life as a slayer and her life as a daughter like these three worlds collided 
in this episode, and that's what it's all about. Um, whenever you have to be a daughter, a student, and a slayer at the same time. Um, so anyway, she has made the lemonade herself. And like she's having Willow try it or something, and and Willow asks, how much sugar did you use? And she was like, sugar? And so there's this like whole gag about like um, Willow just like making a horrible face after she takes a drink. Um, and then um, and then there's this other moment where Joyce walks up and Buffy's trying to hand her a piece of uh, a cup of the lemonade and like Willow's making this face like shaking her head behind Buffy's back to Joyce like no no don't try the lemonade and this is a cute little moment um, and there's just a couple other little things here and there about about the lemonade it was just a cute little gag um, during parent-teacher night um, so there's that little moment <laughs> Cordelia Cordelia is so funny she comes up to Buffy um, and she's taunting her about something or other and um, then she's like man you just you look really tired are you are you what did she say are you skipping what are you skipping moisturizer entirely now or something I don't know what she says but then um, she notices Cordelia notices Buffy's mom from across the room and she's like hey is that your mom now there's a woman that knows how to moisturize <laughs> I just love that um, Cordelia noticing Joyce's luminous face from across the room um, Cordelia is just like you know she's just effortlessly a part of the group at this point and that like I said last week makes me incredibly happy um, so let's see talked about that talked about that Oh, at the very end of the episode, um, it's just an important note that um, Snyder is talking to the cops after this whole thing happens. And it's like, well, you want to go with the PCP gang story? You know, like a gang on PCP? Do you want to go with that? And Snyder's like, well, what do you suggest? The truth? So that's our first indication that Snyder knows that something's supernatural. We don't know the extent, but we know that he knows something about this underbelly world that Buffy lives in. So that's an important thing to note. Uh. Oh, <laughs> this is a cute little moment um, that I think was Michael's favorite moment, and I knew it would be when um, Spike and Buffy are facing off at the school in the hallway for the for the first time. The first fight between Spike and Buffy ever. Um, they're both holding weapons of some kind. I can't remember what each of them had. But Buffy says something like, do we really need weapons for this? Which I think is a weird thing to say. Like, why wouldn't they use weapons? But it's almost like she recognizes him as a huge challenge and he recognizes her as a huge challenge so it's almost like a little dance that they're doing <laughs> which spike will point out later in the series all we've ever done is dance love um but anyway he uh she's like do we really need weapons for this and he's he drops it and he's like i just like them they make me feel all manly <laughs> Um, one of the the Buffy books that I was reading, um, Sex and the Slayer, was just pointing out a lot of Spike's um, need to point out his masculinity and pose, masculine posing and stuff like that. I guess it's just something that I kind of overlook because I haven't noticed it that much. Like in this episode, yes, you think that he has a lot of masculine posturing to do and that is a part of his character I guess but he's also just completely driven by love that is his main motivation is you know whoever he loves and feels passionate about it's the only thing he cares about so for me having that being a part of his character negates the weird masculine shit um, 
and I just don't see him as that masculine of a dude, I guess. Like, he's always sort of accepted his um, effeminate side or whatever. I don't know. Um, anyway, a, a couple of the, like, books and the podcasts that I listened to, they were pointing out whenever he said something about about, um, do you want to test who, test who has the biggest wrinklies around here? And I didn't find that to be masculine posing necessarily. I think he was mocking people. He was mocking the situation, but wrinklies in this case meant wrinkly foreheads of vampires, which all vampires have wrinkly foreheads. It's not necessarily like manly if you have a more wrinkly forehead than the other, you know, like, I think he was making fun of that situation by making that comment more so than being serious. But maybe I'm giving Spike too much of the benefit of the doubt because I love him so much. I don't know. Anyway, so there's that. Um, what else do I want to say? Oh, super, super satisfying moments with Spike and Drusilla together, just from the very beginning. Like, you can tell that they love each other, which is like their first scene together. They're, um, he's taking care of her because she's injured. So he brings her Sheila. She's not like, she's not leaving the house right now. She's just basically hanging around being crazy. And I love her. I love her so much hanging around being crazy. She's so crazy. So delightfully insane. I love her. Um, and then the very last scene with them together is, um, he, comes back after, okay, important moment. So he's like hovering over Buffy after they've been fighting and it looks like he's about to do her in or whatever the fuck, but of course he's not. But then Joyce hits him on the head with an ax. <laughs> Get the hell away from my daughter. And he just gets up and runs out. He's like, oh fuck. <laughs> and he says, women, um, which I just find funny. <laughs> And I think, I think that he just, you know, he's got this weakness for moms because he loved his mom so much and she portrayed him. And there's this, there's a whole story behind that, which we'll talk about later. But, um, I think that that's why he ran away. Cause he was like, Oh shit, I can't, I can't, I can't get involved in this. I can't hurt somebody's mom. Like, I don't think he would do that really. So he runs away and he goes back to the warehouse or where, wherever they're staying because he's been trying to like make friends with the anointed one and his lackeys and whatever, whatever. And, um, so he, he goes back and Willow's like, or Willow, Drusilla is like, oh, did she hurt you? And he just like leans on her shoulder and he's, and he's like, it was close. <laughs> just this nice little whimpery vulnerable moment and she like comforts him and pets him and she's just you know sweet to him and he's you know anyway whiny boy whiny boys i find cute sometimes to a certain extent um and then he like acts like he's gonna go like um ask for forgiveness with the anointed one because he had promised the anointed one that he would um, kill Buffy and he didn't. So he acts, acts like he's gonna go like, you know, be submissive to this anointed one. But he was like, he just couldn't even fall through with it. He's like, no, you know what? No, I'm not. See, Spike has no respect for authority, which is why he's so punk rock and awesome. Like, why is this anointed one so amazing? And then he finally does away with him Thank God. He puts him in a cage and like, that's on a chain. Why is there a cage on a chain? I don't know. But he puts the anointed one in a, in a cage and then pulls the chain. So the pulley system makes the cage go up into the air where there's like an open window or whatever in the warehouse and the anointed one dies from sun exposure. <laughs> and that's it. Then he just asks Drusilla if she wants to go watch some TV. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. Um, so very exciting. I'm going to part now and let you guys listen to the mm minute. And then I'll come back with my final ratings. 
Okay, it's time for the minute. We need some kind of a hand signal. We need a signal. countdown. We need a hand signal. Um, okay, so we just watched School Hard, the introduction of Spike and Drusilla. Yay. So Buffy is in trouble, and so for some reason that means that she has to be in charge of parent-teacher night, which seems really odd that you would choose the two most delinquent students in the school to run parent-teacher night, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Spike shows up to kill Buffy, because why not? That's what he does. That's what he does. The Slayer killer. Yep. And Slayer Slayer. He's the Slayer Slayer. <laughs> so what do you think? Pretty good episode. Oh, yeah. I'm here with my mom. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> no Michael today. Nope. Although he could burst in the door any moment. You it never could know. happen. When the dogs start barking, you'll know. So what did you think? Uh, it was pretty enjoyable. I enjoyed the uh, vagina adorned skirt. Yes. Buffy was, was wearing a white wrap skirt at the PTA parent-teacher night that had like a applique tulip or something it's just like one tulip right in the center growing right up to her crotch yeah it was good <laughs> it's pretty funny it's good it reminds me of your sheets my sheets yeah your country your country bumpkin sheets country the, bumpkin sheets the white ones with the purple flowers that you bought me for my birthday yeah i love those no but they're country bumpkin weren't they called country bumpkin sheets or something country chic country something not bumpkin for sure <laughs> okay. so did were any outfits stand out it. for you the skirt the skirt vagina adorned vagina adorned um Joyce was also wearing a nice, like, black satin robe with white roses on it. I don't think it was satin. Was it? No, it was fluffy. Was it velvet? Uh, probably more like terry cloth-ish. Okay. It was pretty nice, though. Yes, and, and I am desirous of Buffy's pajamas in that scene. Yeah. It was a gardening theme. And she had silky pajamas. They were silky. Yeah, they were. Watering cans and shovels. Well, you can have Buffy's pajamas and I'll take Joyce's robe. And then we can reenact the mother-daughter moment. Okay. <laughs> What's the line? What line? Nobody hurts my daughter. Oh, yeah. Joyce hit Spike in the head with an axe. Stay the hell away from my daughter. Okay. And then she said, nobody, nobody hurts my daughter or something. She said that to Buffy. Nobody messes with my daughter. Did she say? I don't know. Why can't I remember exact words? <laughs> I don't know. I remember the get the hell away from my daughter that she said to Spike, but I don't remember exactly what she said though. Well, that's good. That Buffy. works. Get the hell away from my daughter. That's pretty good. Um, so is that the quote of the episode? That's the quote. Okay. We got the quote. We got the outfit. Um, who would you say is the most valuable player of the most valuable character? the episode mom you think yeah yeah it was pretty much the first moment that joyce actually like acts like a real mom yeah instead of just like you know telling buffy she's a delinquent all the time she went up to shake her finger at buffy and then run off to the gallery she's always running off to the gallery yeah <laughs> um okay so what else your object to pluck from the episode would that be Buffy's pajamas yeah because I'd look really bad in that skirt <laughs> well I think everybody would look pretty bad in that skirt how did it not get really dirty when she was saving everybody's lives and shit it was, a white, was dirty. it was a white skirt oh. magic of TV do you have any other thoughts how Xander you... acted better it was a little more believable in his amusing lines is he not believable? He wasn't last episode. Oh. I thought he was okay. Mm -mm. He wasn't okay. What did you think about Cordelia? Well, she was just there this time. There was not even an excuse. She was just there helping whittle steaks. Yeah, she's whittling steaks. Well, she's always enjoyable. Uh, she had a good dress, too. She had a, like a black 
satin dress or something with red flowers. And I think Willow probably had the best outfits this episode. She had some plaid tights. Buffy did have that luscious shirt, though, that had, like, ice cream on it or something. That's pretty good. Yeah. And overalls. Yeah, the overalls with the twisted strap. Was it twisted? Yeah, it was twisted. <laughs> That's all you could look at? Yeah, twisted. Um, okay. You got any other thoughts? Nope. Excited about Spike? Yeah, I'm... I don't, I like it when he gets better. Oh, okay. So you don't really, you're not really excited about Spike yet. No, and I'm. Drusilla is annoying. I love Drusilla. She annoys me greatly. She's crazy. It's amazing. She's crazy in a bad way, though. No. She's crazy in a good way. She's crazy in a bad way. <laughs> so but what? she wasn't too annoying in this episode. Yeah. This is the first time they show a vampire like being in a real loving relationship with another vampire though that's nice they don't usually show that yeah i like spike better when he doesn't do the vamp face i know distorted face thing yeah don't like the distorted face so he had some good makeup though he had some nice uh red eye makeup going on made him look scarier because you know they made him look more likable later even when he was in vamp face yeah i like him better without the scary makeup <laughs> i like the scary makeup you look like a baby. This was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Dexter? So what's your rating for enjoyability? I'd give it a four. What about conveyance of the message? The message is... The message is... Nobody hurts my daughter. And Buffy's trying to balance different lives. The life of being a slayer, the life of being a student, and the life of being a daughter. She's trying to balance all those lives. But mom doesn't actually know she's a slayer yet. Right. She just thinks she can take care of herself. Yeah. So that's good. They got that worked out. Yeah. So what's your rating on that? Conveyance of message. What was the message? <laughs> See, I never know what the message is. <laughs> she's balancing all the lives. That's the message. Yeah. Master, stop. She's, yeah, she's trying to balance her different personas. How is that a message? And she's trying to keep them separate. She's desperately spending the most of the episode trying to keep them all, all her lives separate. And then they all converge at the end. She has to be student slayer and daughter at the same time. And she did a good job. Worlds collide. That's the message, I think. Well, the worlds collided pretty good. Okay. So, I'll give it a, I don't know. Since I didn't know what it was, I'll give it a two. Okay. So, it gets an eight. Yay. This has been your mm -hmm. minute. minute. <laughs> That's better. Very good. All right. So, I'm back, and it's time for some ratings for School Hard. Um, this is a very enjoyable e episode. I really did not do it justice right now, but um, thank you for listening anyway. Um, the outfit of the episode, there are two that I really enjoyed, both from Willow this episode. So possibly the first outfit you see Willow in, um, it's pretty early on in the episode. She's wearing black overalls and you really only see it for a second this outfit is just like a tiny tiny little scene um, where they're standing outside the school um, Willow Buffy and Xander are standing outside the school talking and um, so you really didn't get to see the t-shirt that close or I think it was like a long sleeve shirt but anyway it looked like it was a pattern of tarot cards on the shirt and then she had the black overalls over it and it was just a very a very willow outfit like willow is finally like getting into her proper quirky cute um outfit situations and then later at the parent teacher night willow was wearing the cutest like uh, was it velvet i don't know it was like an olive green 
really simple like baby doll dress that had like a ribbon tie situation empire waist thing happening and she was also she paired it with some like plaid tights so super cute that's got to be the ultimate outfit of the episode because you actually get to see her in it for longer than like 30 seconds um but that was really cute willow had the best outfits in this episode um the object of the episode so i like to pick an object from each episode that i could pull straight out of the episode and enjoy in my life um I think it would be Joyce's robe. Joyce's robe is my flower pattern, you guys. If you've ever seen me in person, you've probably seen me wearing a pair of canvas Doc Martin boots that are black with a rose pattern on it. And it's sort of become my thing. Like anytime I find anything that's a black background with roses all over it, I'm happy. And this particular, my mom, as you just heard, thinks that this robe is terry cloth, but I think it might be velvet or velour. Um, cause it looked, it looked, I don't know. It looked very soft though. It looked like a, a pretty classy ass robe. So that's the thing that I would like to have for myself is Joyce's robe in one of those early scenes where she was talking with Buffy in her bedroom, telling her she didn't want to be disappointed in her. God, Joyce, you're such a bitch most of the time. That said, perfect segue, the MVP of the episode in this case is Joyce because get the hell away from my daughter and she actually recognizes how awesome Buffy is and tells her so and gives her proper recognition in this moment at least. Joyce is and she's pretty badass in, in the stressful situation too. Like she really did immediately recognize that she needed to trust Buffy and do what she thought was best and let her do her thing. She just like immediately recognized that, oh, my daughter knows what she's doing right now. I'm going to trust her. So Joyce, major props for that. Um, quote of the episode is, get the hell away from my daughter because that's a good moment. <laughs> that was like the best moment of the episode, you know, where you're like, oh my God, who, who just took out Spike? It's motherfucking Joyce. So, um, the music of the episode, it was not bad. There were two songs played by a band called Nickel. Um, you know, they're not great, but it was, and I've never heard of them again or before, <laughs> but, um, they just played a couple of songs in the bronze at the beginning of the episode. And I thought that was a sweet, I, I, I just thought I'd mention that the music that you hear in this episode is from a band called Nickel. Um, okay. Did I say all of that? Okay. So now it's time for my five by five ratings. As far as overall enjoyability of this episode, I find it very enjoyable. There's, um, lots of good little moments, good little jokes. Um, pretty much everybody is on their game in this episode and I didn't really even mention Angel at all but he's there <laughs> he comes to help and there's this whole bit between him and Xander um where yeah whatever I don't even care I don't even care enough to describe it so um Angel's kind of forgettable in this episode um but whatever He's, he just serves to be there to say, oh my God, Spike is the worst. We used to know each other. He's bad. He's a bad boy. Like whatever, Angel. Okay. Um, so as far as enjoyability of this episode, I would give it a 4.5. Pretty good episode. Pretty solid. As far as um, clarity of the episode, as far as how well do I think it managed to get across its message? And I think its message is... Um, that it's really hard to juggle your different personas in this life. I mean, we all have that issue where we have to, you know, be a daughter and a wife and a this and a that. Um, and we have to be different things in these different situations. So I think it, this episode is pretty good about like 
letting you know that Buffy has all these different lives. You know, at one point they show her cutting up vegetables to, to prepare for the uh, parent-teacher night with a machete. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're definitely trying to hammer that point home. And I think they did a reasonably good job at it. But I did kind of have to dig for what is this metaphor? What am I trying to get from this? Um, so I gave it a three in that category. So my overall score for this episode is 13.5. So I will be back in just a few days. On Friday, the next episode will be up and it is Inca Mummy Girl. So if you want to follow along with me, just watch that episode at some point during the day and then listen to the podcast when you're done. How fun is that? So um, I will see you guys in a few days. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.